Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. So we left Good Friday and we've been in this time and this space of uncertainty, this in-between space. But it's in the darkness and the death that we're actually invited to surrender to Jesus and to acknowledge and to see who he is that um, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. It's in the darkest places that actually we learn to surrender. It's in the darkest places where healing begins. It takes time. It leaves us uncertainty. It leaves us uh, disoriented uh, and impatient for something new. But healing often leads us through uncomfortable places. It often leads us through uncertain and painful places. But today we want to say, He is risen. Christ the Lord is risen and is risen indeed. Over the last few years, uh, Ruby, our youngest daughter, has uh, taken to uh, hiding in the passageway around our home and being ready with the camera at particular moments to scare uh, our third daughter, Uh, Lily. Uh, But here's what I'm thinking about that. They live together, they message each other when they're in the same room, they message each other where they're in different rooms, they're showing each other videos all the time, Um, they debrief their day on the bed, everything from work to boys, I assume because I'm not on the bed, uh, to parents, although there wouldn't be too much to debrief about their parents because we're not that frustrating at all. Before the pandemic arrived in Horsham and the uncertainty of where we could go and how we can move in Horsham, uh, they would just get up after tea and go for a drive. They would go to Kmart or, if you're really hipster, you call it K-Mizzle. I don't understand that, but that's what it's called. Uh, They'd go to Kmart, they'd go to McDonald's and buy a frappe and put the wrapping in the bin so they don't think we see it. Um, They they go and drop in on friends and uh, they'd be driving all over. They spend an incredible amount of time together. How is it then that Lily can be so easily scared by someone else who's in the house and they spend so much time together? It's the same question that could be asked of the closest followers of Jesus. Everyone had different experiences before they encountered Jesus. Uh, Mary Magdalene was healed by Jesus Uh, encountered Jesus in a powerful way. Businessmen, fishermen, tax collectors, all called, all from different experiences. And Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Uh, Let's see where this life takes us. They've seen him crucified. A couple stayed, not many. Most ran away. It's unbearable grief. It's incredible sense of disbelief. And it creates this uncertainty about what life holds now. If what we once knew is no longer and we do not yet know what is going to happen, we sit in this in-between place and it leaves us with a sense of discomfort, dissatisfaction, uncertainty and fear. Most of us have been in these in-between places. It's not just about those who follow Jesus. We've felt the in-between places as we've 
uh, felt grief or tragedy or hardship. We're in an in-between place right now. We're discovering a new normal as a society, as a community. What does normal look like? It's different to what we knew. And we don't know what it's going to look like. What we once knew has changed. And what is now, we don't even know what the future will hold in three, six, 12 months time. Because the pandemic has changed how we view the world so powerfully. It's unnerving, it's unsettling, it's uncomfortable. I was reminded as in preparing for Sunday of the words of Jesus in John chapter 16. Jesus is telling the disciples that uh, your grief will turn to joy. I am with you for only a little while longer and then I am with you no more. But take heart, your grief will turn to joy. (laughs) And you must be thinking, my goodness, what? how do you comprehend that? How do you digest that while you're sitting there listening to him? And at the end of this, at the end of John chapter 16, uh, Jesus um, says to his disciples, says to his followers, take heart, do not be afraid. In this world you will see many troubles, you will have many troubles, but I have overcome the world. It's a crazy thought. How does one man overcome the world in the midst of what they knew, what they understood and that was changing and what they experienced on Good Friday in that in-between moment, Good Friday into into the next day, into the Sabbath, um, and, and then beyond that, how do they look beyond that? And I wonder if this word resonated with them, I have overcome the world. My suspicion is not because they're just wrapped up in the grief and the disbelief of what's unfolded. Oh, we want to believe that there's something new to come. I'm sure the disciples, they wanted to believe, but in the in-between, in the darkest places, behind locked doors, that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to see. In those darkest places, in the deepest depths of despair, when our wounds are at their most painful, that's hard to believe that anything new can come about. But it's in the between we choose who or what has our heart. Consider the response of those who had been with Jesus. And I'm not going to read the texts. I'm going to invite you to go and read the text at some other time. I just want to give you the highlights of the closest followers of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, the women go to the tomb on the day after the death of Jesus. They go to the tomb and we're told they leave with fear and with great joy. How can you hold both those things? But this is what we're told. They leave with fear and with great joy. They tell the other disciples, and when they finally see Jesus, when Jesus finally stands amongst them, they worship, but some doubted. In the Gospel of Mark, the women go to the tomb, and they see the empty tomb, and they say nothing because they're afraid. It's actually Mark's got this little bit on the end. He's got this little footnote. Many scholars believe that it's been added later. It's obviously you couldn't leave it like that. It seems unfinished, undone. The women just left afraid. How's that offer any hope? But Jesus then appears appears to Mary Magdalene a second time and uh, she recognises Jesus and she runs off to tell the other disciples and the other disciples don't believe her. So when Jesus finally appears to them in a room and 
meets with them. He rebukes them for their disbelief and their hardness of heart, their unwillingness to participate in something new. In the Gospel of Luke, the women report to the disciples after they've seen the empty tomb. We're told that Peter runs to the tomb and once he sees the empty tomb, he simply leaves in amazement. He leaves amazed. Jesus travels with, still in the Gospel of Luke, he travels with two disciples along a road. Uh, people who we understand have been with Jesus, although they're not necessarily known or named in this passage. And it's not until the breaking of bread that they recognise him. And not until they participate in a meal that they recognise him. And then they say, were not our hearts burning within us? Did we not recognise there was something happening here for us? Something resonating in the in-between moments. There's something new taking shape. Jesus appears after that uh, experience. Jesus then appears in a room once those two men have run back to the disciples. Jesus appears in a locked room. Uh, the disciples consider him a ghost. And to kind of squash that, he invites contact, he invites participation. He says, touch my wounds. Experience me. Interact with me. Before he again eats with them. As if to point out he is not a ghost. But he is with them in person. And we're told in the Gospel of Luke that there is disbelief mixed with joy. Disbelief mixed with joy. In the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene, what you find about the Gospels and the resurrection of Jesus is it's always the women who discover the empty tomb first. Um, so Mary Magdalene runs back, tells the disciples, Peter and John, we're told, run to the tomb. Uh, Peter gets to the tomb and stops. John rushes in. Peter follows him in. Um, and then they simply return to the place they were staying. That's it. We're told they simply return to the place they were staying. And isn't this one of the challenges for us? So often we just go back to the places we have been, back to the things that we've thought, back to the way that we have done life before. They're uncertain of what to do, like many of us, in the in-between places. It's Mary who again sees Jesus but thinks he is the gardener until Jesus speaks her name. Again, a moment of familiarity, a moment of recognition, a moment of being seen. He reveals himself as personal. He again invites a personal encounter, participation. Thomas wasn't there with the disciples when uh, Jesus comes into the room in the Gospel of John. He says, unless I see him myself, I will not believe. He gets that opportunity. Jesus comes in and says, Thomas, see my wounds, my hands, my feet, my side. Touch me, experience me, participate with me. I am here. I see you. I hear you. In a constantly changing world, Jesus continues to invite personal connection, personal participation. He invites us to share in a meal with him. That not, is not only about sharing in a meal, but it's an invitation to remember and to see a way out of the in-between. Welcome, friends, to this time of communion where I get to narrow in on the guts of this whole weekend is what it's actually all about remembering Jesus' death and resurrection.
It's Easter time. It's a great time of fun and family normally, isn't it? I'm sure many of you still managed to find the chalky eggs, but it's not quite the same this year, is it? Parts of the world are in great turmoil. Life is not normal. Life is restricted. Uh, we barely get out of the house. Life's on hold. It's unfair and for some, even final. Jesus knows what people are going through, though. No, he didn't get COVID-19. But around Easter time, he knows exactly what it's like to suffer. One year, he celebrated the Passover festival with his disciples, remembering Israel's exodus from Egypt and the plague of the firstborn and how the blood of the lamb was put on door frames of believers' houses to show God that he should pass over their houses during the night and not kill the firstborn. After that meal, as he was walking outside Jerusalem with his disciples, he was arrested and imprisoned. He suffered in his body at the hands of the guards for no reason and given a death sentence for no reason other than he was who he was. That's unfair. But here's the mystery of it all. No, he didn't enjoy the physical suffering. Let's face it, who does? But he didn't see this life as an end in itself. He didn't see it as a race to pay off his mortgage or to set his family up for life. He was willing to give up the things of this life because he knew who he was. He knew the prophecy of the Old Testament. He knew through prayer time with his heavenly father that a much better life awaited those who persevere through this physical life and win the race. And he didn't hoard it all to himself. He did it for us. We too have been invited to share eternity with Jesus as co-heirs, children of God. Jesus won that victory for us. He loves us. The Bible says we now have access to God and eternity by the blood of Jesus. Not the endless sacrifice of bulls and lambs as in the Old Testament times. Jesus' death on the cross as the Lamb of God is a sacrifice once and for all, for all our sins. This is what Easter is about. This is what communion is about. We take the bread and the fruit of the vine to remember the last Passover supper. The Bible records it like this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On Friday, we remembered a cruel death to someone who didn't deserve it. Today, we celebrate his resurrection. He died and rose to life eternal. Hallelujah. So right now, whoever you're with, I invite you to share in communion. Take your emblems representing the bread and the juice and remember Jesus Christ and his life given for you. So as we've thought about and reflected about the various responses of people who have followed Jesus, as we've participated in a meal that reminds us of who Jesus is and what he has done and the invitation that we have, The question that needs to be asked is, what about you? Who is this Jesus to you? How will you respond to this Jesus who died, 
taking every ounce of fear and anger and loneliness and rejection and mocking upon him physical self and spiritual self, shedding blood so that we can know the full extent of God's love for us. What about you? What will you do with this God who has led us through death and experiences the in-between moment but has raised Jesus to life as victory, in victory, saying that I have overcome the world. All the troubles, though we're in the midst of um, experiencing them and going through them, I have overcome all that. It is finished. What will you do with that invitation? See, we often live afraid, we often live uncertain. A lot of people that I've spoken to over the years in Christian ministry have talked about following Jesus, but they're not quite ready. Jesus isn't who we expected or somehow we feel like we have to have it all together before we can choose to follow Jesus. We can hide away in fear, but in the end, like the disciples, there'll be moments in our life where Jesus will break into our lives and reveal more of himself. He invites us to participate in life with him. What about you? What will you do with that invitation? Even in this in-between moment, this in-between moment that's moving into this declaration, this promise of new life, what response will you make to the risen Jesus who says, I have overcome the world. All your heartache, all your mocking, all your rejection, all your loneliness, all your unworthiness, all your hopelessness, all your disappointment, all your disillusionment, I have overcome the world. He isn't a fairy tale of some desperate people. Because the reality is desperate people... <laughs> wouldn't have endured so much to talk about the risen Jesus. Desperate people wouldn't have kept the lie alive if it was either the lie or their life. A group, a small group of people kept the story, the truth, the revelation, the participation of the risen Jesus alive 2,000 years ago. It is the most enduring story of all time. And it's a story that leaves us asking, what will I do with the risen Jesus? Will I accept him as my Lord and Saviour? So this small group of people who initially responded in fear and amazement and disbelief and joy, who hid behind locked doors, they did not waver. They did not waver. Some died declaring this truth of the risen Jesus, the one who overcame the troubles of the world. Some died proclaiming the forgiveness of sins and continued to invite people to know God simply by declaring him as Lord and Saviour, turning away from their life apart from God, the nature of sin and walking in his ways. And it's because of their witness and testimony that we are still proclaiming his good news today, the good news of risen, the risen Jesus. So to those of you who are in fear, Hear the words of Jesus. Peace be with you. To those of you who are uncertain, who are lost, who feel that they're not worthy of recognition, hear the whisper of God as he says your name. To those who doubt, worship anyway. 
In the midst of a constantly changing world, the greatest truth remains that the good news of Jesus Christ is still true. He is risen. Jesus is alive and we are invited into a full and restored relationship with God. Because he is alive, we can find new life. We are healed by his wounds and the scars we carry are reminders of God's victory. The good news of Jesus is an invitation to seek him, to know him and to follow him. And his desire is to participate in life with every single one of us, with you. I said on, uh, East, on Good Friday that I really believe that this is an opportunity for many of us today to declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And I don't know what your story is. I don't even know why you've clicked onto this service. Maybe you're part of a local church and you're not able to connect in at the moment. Maybe you're just looking for that last desperate grasp for hope. So you've clicked online onto some church, any church, and you don't even really know why you're here except that something inside you says, I need more. I need to know more than what I have and who I am now. I really believe that God is inviting you into a life-changing, transforming relationship today because of the good news that Jesus is risen. He is alive. His desire is that he would be in a relationship with him, that you would know forgiveness from the sins, from the disappointment, the pain of your past and walk in freedom in new life. This might be the first time you've been hearing this news or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, a million times and maybe in hearing it, you've just drifted away and you've got used to it. Don't live in the mundane, don't live in the ordinary. God calls us into so much more. Don't live in the hopeless because God restores us into hope. God knows your name. And the invitation is there again to simply kneel or stand where you are. Acknowledge your desire to follow Jesus Simply say, God, I'm sorry. I've walked away from you. I haven't lived how you wanted to. I need to know your hope. I need to know you. And I confess you now as my Lord and Saviour. And you receive him as that. Um, and I just want to pray with you in that declaration now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the declaration that you are alive, that you have said yes to the way of life of Jesus that despite the heartache and the pain and the uncertainty, the fear that others felt as they watched Jesus go through that crucifixion, despite your own pain watching your son go through that, you have said yes to who Jesus is. You have said yes to us as an invitation to participate in your way of life. Father, for those of us sitting here kneeling, standing right now that want to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, I want to pray that they would encounter you in a very real and personal way. If that's for their first time, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and give them peace, give them joy, give them freedom, help them to see life from a new perspective. For those of us, Father, who have been in a slow drift or have just got bored or disappointed, or hasn't really meant much, or their life is okay and you're not really the priority. Father, I pray that in this moment that we would again discover your desire to participate in the fullness and the richness of life with us. We want to thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can declare the goodness of you. Thank you that we can say Jesus is risen. He is alive and he is our Lord and Saviour. 
Thank you, Father. We honour you, we bless you, and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us over this Easter weekend, friends. We'd love to know if you've made that decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to hear about that declaration. We'd love to hear about what you've encountered and what's been revealed to you over this Easter weekend, regardless if it's your first time or you've been here many times or if you made that commitment for the first time to follow Jesus or you've made that recommitment. We'd love to be in contact with you. Uh, we'd love to have an email from you, life at horsham.org.au and let us know what this has meant for you over this weekend. We want to connect you into the faith community. We want to connect you and assist you in growing in your relationship with Jesus. Um, bless you. Uh, may you continue to know the peace, the joy, um, as you continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. Blessings.